Welcome to Hearthside Salons. I'm Heidi Hornbacher of Pagecraft Writing. Each week we bring you conversations with creators and innovators to feed your creative fire. In many aspects of Hollywood, persistence is as important as talent. My guest tonight knows something about persisting through tough times and about working with people whose job it is to persist. People who take pride in their work but need to protest the system because they can see that something is wrong. The people who follow those people's stories are documentary filmmakers. Oscar-nominated documentarian Sarah Nesson talks to me today about letting the story unfold, making peace with your own pace towards success, and learning that old Hollywood rule, you're only as good as your next picture. So first of all, we should say you and I met when you came to uh, one of our weekend workshops years ago now in Malibu. You're the reason and, I moved uh, to LA. You and Carly. Yes. <laughs> I love it. I, you are not the only ones. I've, we've, been, we've inspired several writers to move here uh, after, after working with us. And I'm just like, yeah. well, you know. And, and now after listening to your interview with Meg uh, Gifford, you're going to be the reason that I leave LA. <laughs> because she was talking about how important it is to, you know, live with people that are not in the industry so that when you're creating content, you are, you're speaking from experience with real people and, and right. living in the real world. We all know there's no real people in LA. <laughs> like I really, I really actually, I I do kind of wonder about like, why would you live here if you weren't in the industry? Like, I, I wonder that sometimes because I'm just like, sure, the weather's perfect all the time, except for when it's 100 degrees. But otherwise, the weather's perfect all the time. But if you're not like this town is such a company town in, in a way, like, what are you doing here if you're not? There's so many other places you could live. There's so many other places. And, and you know, I think that COVID is going to inspire people to think about other places. And you know, there's, yes. they say that there's gonna be this mass migration, but I think that also people are gonna get creative and, you know, like maybe live in another country or, you know, the fact mm. that society has now, it, our, we've created this new like culture of communicating virtually. So like we could live anywhere. But yeah. yes, you and Carlo, I signed up for your screenwriting workshop, Pagecraft. And I ended up, it was just supposed to be a couple of weeks, but I ended up in this house sitting situation and I had an apartment in New York and I had it rented out on Airbnb. And there was like one month where it wasn't rented out and I couldn't put the bill for it. And I said, you know what, I'm just going to give it up and I'm moving to LA. And I ended wow. up staying. And that's, that's huge. Anyone giving up their apartment in New York is such a huge deal. Oh my God. It was the best apartment in the heart of Brooklyn, oh. Williamsburg. Well, I'm I'm honored. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, I so you where because I know your family's back there, right? So tell me a little bit about like what was your what was your childhood like? What was your family? What was your family like expecting of you was as a productive human? <laughs> well, I I grew up with like a mo a mother who was very sort of business oriented she went back to school when I was when I was young and she got a degree and became an interior designer my stepfather owned a tire business so there was kind of like the business minded 
people on that side. And then my dad was always this documentary filmmaker, adventurer, activist. And so he inspired me on that side in a, in a way that's kind of the right brain, left brain thing going on. Yeah. But, um, I've always been pulled in those two different directions, but I definitely ended up going in the direction of my dad and together he, I ended up working with him and we went to 20 different countries together. We were stranded in Siberia. We oh. were, we, I mean, from a month, um, and we, you know, it just, I, and I needed to find it on my own. I didn't want to just yeah. do it because he was doing it. So I ended up going to art school in Italy and I made my first documentary there. And I realized I, I love this. Like, I'm not going to go to school to become, uh, to understand political science or chemistry or, you know, um, a specific uh, field or trade, but I can learn about these things through the craft of filmmaking, of documentary filmmaking. So that was, became my sort of MO. And then um, I made a bunch of documentaries and, but now I'm sort of moving into the screenwriting world and I'm trying to balance both. Well, yeah, it is tricky, but and, and as I'm kind of do the reverse, you know, I've been screenwriting since 2003, and uh, now I'm starting to make documentary films. Yeah. So it's like, the, but it is, it's like so much research and you learn so much about the field. Yeah. That it does feel like a little, uh, a, crash a certificate, a cer crash right. course. Not, I, was gonna, I wouldn't say a master's, but like a certificate. No. You're getting some kind of minor degree. Minor. <laughs> so... What of of the of the uh, docs that you've made? What has been, like, what's been your favorite? What's been particularly challenging one? Like, well, I, you know, I, I, my first real documentary. Um, I I had a documentary that kind of got split into two documentaries. Um, when I this was around two thousand six, I moved to Vermont and talk about living in. The real world you know <laughs> real and, and people i was like what am i doing here you know I, I went to college there and then i ended up living on martha's vineyard and i was making these little films when i lived on martha's vineyard but nothing serious and i ended up in vermont and i was getting ready to leave i actually bought a plane ticket to go to seattle i was like maybe i'll just move to seattle and i ended up meeting a group of iraq war veterans these young guys who were so raw and they were doing something that was so unique and it was called the combat paper project where they cut up their uniforms and turn them into paper and it was like the coolest thing i'd ever seen and i went on to youtube to see if somebody beat me to this idea of making a documentary and i saw that everything was kind of amateur you know like self-filmed and i um so i i pitched them i said hey can i just come in follow you guys and, and film what you're doing and you guys can use this footage to promote what you're doing and you know reach out other reach other veterans and I'll get to make a film and they said yes and so um, for a year I followed a group of Iraq war veterans mostly men boys they were all in their early mm -hmm. mid-20s and um, and after about a year, and I that film was called Iraq Paper Scissors, and oh, love it. So yeah, so um, but I didn't quite. I had an incredible subject, but he was really traumatized, and I was trying to find my story. I was trying to find mm. my book. I was filming them in the studio. I was filming them 
you know, talking about what they were going through in terms of PTSD. And this is, mind you, back in 2008, early, no, Mm -hmm. sorry, it's 2007. Nobody was talking about PTSD back then. So there was a lot of stigma around it. And here was a group of young guys who were openly sharing what they were experiencing and, and unapologetic for it. You know, like they, they were like, this is a real thing. And they were questioning everything, you know, their role in the war. And um, yet they were so proud of their service. And um, so after about a year, I realized that I, I needed to kind of shift gears and I ended up bringing 30 veterans to Martha's Vineyard and hosting a retreat. And one of the vets that came was this young woman called, her name is Robin Murray. And she told me her story and uh, that she had been put on the cover of Army Magazine and made the poster girl for women in combat. And she was home, she was dealing with PTSD. She was getting ready to navigate the VA to submit her claims for PTSD. And she was working with this Vietnam vet. And instantly I thought, I knew that was my story. So even though I had a year's worth of footage that I'd already collected with all these amazing veterans and they were all sharing their stories, they didn't let me follow them the way that she let me. So I went, I basically lived at her house in upstate New York and I followed her experience filling out claims and going to the VA and all the ups and downs, the good days and the bad days. And she was just, you know, um, an open book. And so after two years of filming, I had one film with like this much of all the, you know, sorry, this much of the veterans I'd filmed the first year and this much of her. And I, I didn't know what to do. So I flew out to LA and I took a producing workshop and the producer said, you have two films. You need to take her out of this film and make a separate film. Mm. And that's the film that ended up becoming Poster Girl and went on to HBO helped me finish and got a bunch of awards. Um, But A Rock, Paper, Scissors was always my first love in many ways. And it's like the undiscovered film that I'm now adapting both films into a a feature script that Heidi, you helped me with so much. Um, So I'm finally able to bring that story to light through this narrative medium. Wow, it's so much. What was it like being with the guys for that long and just being around their trauma and like watching what they were going through? And they're such babies. They're in their their 20. I mean, like- Their hair, when I first met them, their hair was short. You know, they didn't have any facial hair. They barely any tattoos. And after like six months, you know, um, just full, you know, scruff or, and hairs growing out, tattoos. I mean, they're, they're, they changed and they became, um, they became, they understood what they were going through so much more, but it was also, they were being consumed by it. They were identifying Mm -hmm. themselves as someone who has PTSD, like a victim. Um, And the story that I wanted to tell was about how veterans, um, even though they're identifying with being, suffering with PTSD, they were also finding their own way to heal. Mm. I thought that was really important that they were taking responsibility, that they weren't relying on the system. So, um, but even though I was very clear about that being my goal, um, some of the vets 
didn't want me around with the camera anymore. Like after, you know, six months, eight months of filming, it was like, aren't you done with this film yet? Yeah. And because you know, that's how documentaries work. Yeah. And I was like, well, I haven't, I don't really have the hook yet. You know, um, I don't have the full arc and, and that just didn't make any sense. And it was so hard to explain that mm-hmm. um, to someone who's like, one of them actually told me to get the fuck out of their head. Wow. And and he threatened to destroy all my footage. Oh, geez. He was in a really dark place. And when he threatened to destroy my footage, and this is a Marine vet who is a trained killer. I mean, yeah, it's like he could do that. He could. And he could snap at any moment. And he had footage that he shared with the public um, in a testimony called Winter Soldier of um, a kill, like a fresh kill. Oh, my. Um, so I took him seriously and I took my stack of tower of tapes. I shot on mini DV tapes oh, then, yeah. and I got in the car, I loaded it up and I moved to New York. And wow. Yeah. So that was, that was hard. And it took me a long time after finishing those two films to make another documentary. Yeah. And I don't know if that's part because I was so traumatized myself having been in that world and really being, you know, um, they lived, they worked in my backyard. So even when I was not filming, I was consumed with the film that I needed to get still and the relationships that I was trying to, you know, really nurture and, you know, and, you know, it it was just all consuming for two years. But I, I feel like I was able to, when I moved to LA, I got so far away from you know, subjects that I would want to make a documentary about. So it's been harder for yeah. me to find subjects. But I recently just found a subject that I'm excited about. Okay, we'll talk about we'll talk about that in a yeah. bit. But I, I mean, I understand what you're saying about like feel you 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 can't not absorb their trauma to some extent because just like even when we're writing screenplays, like you're in those characters' minds and you're living their trauma while you're writing their trauma and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Yeah, so, and, and, um, uh, I've met many filmmakers who have ex- gone through what I've gone through. Um, they've documented the war in Syria. They've documented other veterans. Um, you know, it's impossible. If you're going to make a documentary, it's really hard to, to separate yourself from your from absorbing their energy. Yeah, but I also think it's really interesting what you're talking about is this dichotomy of these soldiers between the pride they feel for their service and the protest of we're proud of this country. We're proud of what we did and something's not right. Yeah. It's the system that is trying to, you know, I think they were rejecting the system. Yeah. They have a love of their country of of doing something noble. um, They identify with of the camaraderie, the tribe, you know, the solidarity, um, and, and, you know, coming home and trying to recreate that, all the things that are good about being in the military without the things that uh, make them feel like they're subscribing to a system that is um, not there to actually support them. Yeah. Well, you talk a lot about that in Robin's story mm-hmm. and the fictionalized version of Robin's story and what she went through at the VA mm-hmm. and how, how hard it is for these veterans to access the care that we've promised them exactly which is a travesty yeah and then and then but knowing sometimes it's just the validation it's one of the Mm. things I learned early on that 
veterans don't need to be coddled. They just need to be validated. Mm, you know? Yeah. And, you know, anybody and not, wants to be heard. And, yeah. And, and supported in, in a way that's not like, here's some, here's some drugs. Right. Right. How do you know when you have, when you found a hook? It was, well, with Poster Girl, it was when Robin said that she was going to, she was about to go start the VA um, PTSD claims process. And every, you know, I've always considered myself a verite style documentary filmmaker. So I want to be there to follow the, the journey that they go on. And that by the end, they will have learned something about themselves. There'll be some kind of, um, you know, redemption or, or um, change. And yeah. so that was, that was really important. Um, when she said that, I was like, oh, can I, can I go home with you? Can I follow you? And she said, yes. And I was like, done. That's when I knew that I had my hook. And a great arc there. Um, mm -hmm. Actually, there's a relevant question that's popped up. Um, you were traumatized a little bit from, you know, working on this and absorbing that trauma. How did you work through that? How did you shed that? Oh, man, <laughs> it was years. It took years because I, I, um, you know, I tried to do therapy. I tried acupuncture. I tried all these things. Um, I tried separating myself. Um, I think if I were to even think about it right now, I would probably start crying. And I don't know even like where that, why I still feel that way. There's some things that are just so primal. Um, I have such a love, I have such a, a passion and there's very few things that, that I feel that way about. Yeah. And so, you know, I think part of it is just like this, the idea that they became my family. Yeah. Um, and well, anytime you see your family being wronged, it's right infuriating and then yeah. powerlessness of like, how do you change the VA? Yeah. But to answer the question, um, I ended up going in the complete opposite direction. I started working on things that um, were more uplifting. <laughs> and um, all those documentaries about puppies and rainbows. Puppies. <laughs> but I'm, that's my nature is to, I'm drawn to things that are um, tougher. I'm drawn, yeah. I'm drawn to the darkness. Well, I mean, that's where the controversy is, right? That's where the grit is. It's like, as much as we all love puppies and rainbows, <laughs> they don't make that interesting of narratives. No. Because it's like, yay. Hey, there's a puppy. Yay. End of story. Right. So we well, have Instagram photos for it. We can just look at each other's puppies. Exactly. Well, with Poster Girl, it, you know, it's not nothing. You're like, eh, I want some awards. Um, an Oscar nomination, an Emmy nomination... Uh, I've seen pictures of you on the red carpet at the Academy Awards. Like, what's that like to be, to go from like living with these damaged people to now you're in this make-believe world of glitz and glamour and what's that like? It was so surreal. Um, I'll never forget driving down the red carpet, oh, sorry, um, through the uh, barricade in the limo with Robin, the poster girl. And here she is like with her tattoos of guns on her chest and, you know, and she's all, she's looking up at the rooftops. She's, she noticed, she's noticing the snipers from the rooftops. Oh God. Like, <laughs> I mean, I never in a million years would have even looked in that direction, you know? And so it was, it was really surreal. Um, but you know, it was, it was wow. an amazing experience to be there with her and, and share that. And, 
you know, she was so brave, so brave to trust me and to open herself up and expose herself in that way. But yeah, there's nothing I, I, you, um, in your previous interview with Meg Gifford, she mentions Billy Wilder, how he'd won an Oscar. And the next year he notices somebody else was getting an Oscar and, and he was really sad. And his son said, why are you so sad? He said, because I'm not working, writing something that's going to get nominated for an Oscar. And he's like, you just did last year. But it's so true. You're you're literally, in the words of Mike Medivoy, you're only as good as your next picture. So, mm. I mean, I just, I'm, I'm gunning for that for that spot again, hopefully with the same film or a different film, but you yeah. know, you, you, it's like a, it's like a drug. You just, you want to relive it. Yeah. Um, well, I hope to live it myself one day. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> it's like, I, I want to see how exciting that is for me. I wanted to talk a little bit about the adaptation of that into a narrative feature. So like pulling it out of the dock and pulling it. When I first met you, you were like, I'm not a writer. And I was like, yes, you are. <laughs> So like, what's, I mean, how has that been, what's it been like to like pull from the narrative and craft the fictionalized version? Um, it's been a 10 year process. For you know, anyone who thinks writing is easy. I, I am like in the dictionary under like perseverance that you'll see my name. Um, I, I just, and somebody who also who didn't think that I was capable of doing it, relying on so many other people to tell the story for me. Mm-hmm. and not feeling connected to what was on the written on the page and the characters that I knew so intimately yeah. that I reached that point where I was like, I have to, there's no one else who's going to do it. So, it, you know, it, there was times where I was like, oh yeah, sure. I can try. And I tried and I failed. So I'd hand it off to somebody else. No, I had to do it. And I, and I, um, I just finished literally so it's, this is like, awesome. COVID has been, has been a blessing in that, in that way that I had the time to really focus on it. Good. So talk to me about women who score. That sounds like a super fun project. And when you talked, when you told me about it, I was like, okay, how did you get hooked up with that? And that's totally just a badass and uplifting. So talk about that. Oh my gosh. It's one of those things that, you know, my composer on Poster Girl, Miriam Cutler, uh, she said, hey, there's like this 20 of us composers. We're going to be doing this concert called Women Who Score. And it's one night only. And do you think you could film it? And I was like, um, yeah, let me see if I can like get some help filming it. And they were thinking one camera. I mean, I I got Canon on board. I got like, have you uh, met me? No, not one camera. No, this is, this is like monumental. This is like something that's going to go down in history. Like 20 women film composers up on with an 80 person orchestra and choir. I mean, for playing songs that are um, basically adapted for uh, an orchestra because all of them were were um, orchestrated for a score that would go into a movie. So to reimagine it for an orchestra, it really had to be, um, you know, uh, reorchestrated and yeah. so much work. But um, so I, you know, I, I just met this woman, um, Nada, uh, a few nights before, and I called. She worked. She was a rep at Canon, and I called her up and I said, "Do you think that that Nate Cannon would be on board with?" 
some, you know, donating some cameras for something like this? And she said, yes. <laughs> and then she also got the camera division on board. Nice. And um, next thing you know, I had like a seven person crew. Um, sorry, I had seven cameras, a much bigger crew. Everybody was donating their time. Um, I got one person to donate $1,000 for production insurance. And Very good. another friend donated $1,000, which covered just meals and a few other things. Because where was but it? It was downtown LA. Oh, it was. For some reason, I thought yeah. you flew somewhere. No. But, and I had, I hope I'm not exaggerating here, but I had, when she asked me, it was about three weeks to the day. So I had to, I had to get all these people together. And then the day that we started filming, uh, Laura Cartman, who's a Emmy and Oscar nominated uh, composer who envisioned this whole thing, she said to me, she emails me, I'm on the stage like scouting where we're putting the cameras. She emails me and we were supposed to go over to rehearsal where all of the composers in the orchestra were, they had two days to rehearse um, uh, over 20 um, compositions. Wow. And um, she emails me and she says, um, Union said that you can't film, so don't <gasps> Oh God. And I'm like, what do you mean we can't film the music union? She's, and she just, and she just said, sorry, you know? No, 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 no. I was like, you have no idea what I've been through the last three weeks. I, I ended up getting like a stomach issue that I had to oh. go take myself to the walk-in clinic. Oh no. I mean, I was so panicked, but I was with um, my producer and DP who, um, Eva, Eva Cohen was DPing. The both of them were like, oh, don't worry about it. Let's just go there. We'll show up. And we'll talk to the, the head guy, you know, the director of the music union, and we'll just tell him, hey, we're just going to capture like this, and but we're only going to use a few minutes. And, you know, and so I'm like, really, we can do that? We don't have to just take Laura's word for this. And, you know, I mean, it, it seemed like a, a no to me. So we go over there and, the, and so calm, collected. They were like, do you mind if we just, you know, we're just going to film but, you know, we're not going to get in anybody's way. We'll just be flying the walls. And we're only going to use, like, you know, a few minutes of, of this music, honestly. And he's like, oh, sure. Yeah, no problem. And I'm like, oh, my God. So we ended up filming nonstop for the next two days. And of I told course. Her, I was like, we got permission. And she's like, oh, okay. I mean. Why did she tell you no in the first place? Because she was scared of the music union guy. That okay. That was going to shut them down. And she, this was her goal was to make this concert happen, not the film or not. The I, well, yeah, but oh my God. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it was such a you're like You're like, thanks me. for the ulcer and. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, well, I love the, the whole ask for forgiveness, not permission. That's kind of like my, yeah. my MO. And um, it sounds like that was your DP and producer's <laughs> way of things too. Which just, I mean, it makes so much sense. And I feel like half the time, if you just show up with a smile and you're kind and you ask, people will yes. say yes. Because people want, they want to be part of a film. Like people are excited, generally speaking. I mean, unions to, are very particular. So I understand, you know, yeah. they have very strict rules, um, which ends up hurting them because, you know, they're not able to take opportunities. It, it, yeah. it limits them. But, oh my God, I mean, that was such a, a, a life lesson that day. Like I never, 
going, I'm just going to go in and, and yeah, with just gratitude and being nice, you can generally get what you want. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I've gotten a lot of, a lot of footage that way. <laughs> so how but was that? The film, the film, it was wonderful. It took me yeah. a really long time to edit together all the cameras and syncing issues. Um, and I edited it myself and, um, but it ended up getting nominated for a Hollywood music and media award for best documentary, uh, music documentary. And it was up against Lady Gaga's documentary, which was really cool. Did it win? No. Did you, did Gaga win? I didn't win either. So. Oh, dang. I was going to say, at least you'd be like in your face, Gaga. But no. no, that's amazing. That's, I mean, that's the thing is like, when we talk about success in this town, you're failing against higher and higher pe- people. Like, you know, like the, yeah. you, the fact that you failed with Lady Gaga, that's like, <laughs> congratulations, Sarah. That's like really high level failure. That's amazing. I'm, I'm more proud of that than if I won. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. Is it's just like it's not about the winning because as we've just talked about, you're gonna forget that you won. Now. Or, you know, it's like, it's, it's the next thing, but it's just that you're at these, you're, you're, the levels are higher and higher. Levels are higher. Look, Lady, Diane Warren is going to be the most famous composer yes. in the history of composers and songwriters because of how many times she's been nominated for an Oscar and never won. She's I mean, the Susan Lucci of composer. Yeah. And she's, she's in the film too. And um, that was just, she's amazing. a legend. She is a legend. Oh yeah. my God. I was going to talk a little bit about the the failure thing, like leads me a little bit to like, how do you think of your own success? Or, you know, do you have any imposter syndrome or anything like that? <laughs> you know, I feel like I've had to understand, you know, I've tried to enter the Hollywood game and, and, you know, I, I had, I've had to be honest with my own shortcomings and that, you know, it's going to take me longer to do anything in this industry. You know, I hear about women like Meg Gifford that you just interviewed and, you know, she's, you know, got her master's and she's, you know, written like 10 scripts and she's written five novels and she's, you know, doing this teaching um, in the university. And, you know, I've been slowly chipping away at this script. And in the meantime, I've tried to just survive, you know? Right now, having finished the script, I feel more accomplished than ever before. And it will be, you know, whether it gets, it goes anywhere or not, I finished my goal, you know, I achieved my goal. And I'm able to um, make a living right now as an editor, which is Oh, amazing. Yeah. And I'm shooting, um, you know, I've also developed my skills as as a camera operator. So that's been really fun for me. So is, am I doing, you know, am I making the movies that I want to make? Are they, am I getting, um, you know, my documentaries in the Sundance? No, but I, my pace is, is slow and I'm okay with that. Yeah. I think that's half the battle is just that self-forgiveness in, in a way, if that is how to put it, that yeah. it's, you know, this is a game of attrition and it's whoever hangs in longest and puts up with all the crap that just, you know, it's like gen- sooner or later, these things start bubbling through. You've, you've, are, you're already on radar because of the people you've worked with and the awards you've gotten and been nominated and all that stuff. So it's not like you're starting from zero. And the process, honestly, the process has been really rewarding because I ended up in this writing group with um, 
there's seven of us women that meet every Monday from five to, uh, sorry, from three to six. And we support each other and we, you know, we, we are becoming good friends and, you know, they've hired me to shoot stuff for them. I've hired them to, to help write with me, you know, as one of them has become a mentor. That, that part of the process has been really rewarding. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Cause that is, that's how it has to, it should be, you know, it's, it's, it's the process, it's the creative process. It's that you get to do this mm-hmm. and, you know, yeah that's that's the measure I I same thing I was recently looking at um, a bunch of my projects that I'm like oh I should have these all in one place so that I can if someone asks for you know a comedy or a drama like I have them all kind of in one place I made a document a word document with all my log lines from all these different projects and I just was like because I'm like oh yeah I, I feel like I've written some scripts but I haven't really written that many and then I looked, I had one entire page of log lines for TV pilots and one entire page of log lines for, for features. And oh I'm like, God. I've written so many things, you know. And, and these are just, scripts that you've written, like yeah. that you've completed. Oh yeah, these are like ready for sale, ready for the market, oh you God. know. And and it's like, you know, they're they're out in the world and some of them are get various things or, you know, percolating and whatever. But it's just like taking a minute to just step back and realize like, just because I haven't gotten something like my name on a credit on the big screen, it's like, it's not that I've done nothing. I've developed my craft up until this point, you know, Yeah, yeah. With all that. And you've developed, um, a, you know, a page craft, which has been helping other filmmakers, um, find their success as screenwriters too. And, you know, in traveling yeah. to Italy, I mean, that's, that's huge. Oh God, I miss it so much this year. Yeah. Like, physically hurts me but yeah like we you know I I've also gotten really to enjoy enjoying my clients and students and friends success you know Mm -hmm. like we just had our client one of our clients last week found out she won the nickel you know Mm -hmm. and it's just like no way that is the mac daddy of all like and I'm just so proud of her and I'm so like proud that we had like this you know teeny part of her, her getting that script to be the Mike Nichols, the Mike Nichols award. Yeah. The Academy. Wow. So it's like, it is the Academy nodding to her that she is a writer who knows what the bleep she's doing. And so like that made me super happy. And then I had a pile of a couple of other clients just also won various film festivals last week and and the week before. And so it's just kind of like, yes, like it's building these, like people are accomplishing their goals and that makes me feel so good. Validation that what you're doing is really you know you're offering like real help to yeah. screenwriters you're helping them get there that's amazing yeah you're helping yeah. me yeah I was gonna say like I know without even reading your script that you that the characters are going to be fully developed <laughs> that there's going to be solid arcs and then solid story structure mm-hmm. and you know and like all this stuff so mm-hmm. it's like and the next time I write the next script that I'm which I'm developing I'm going to take six weeks to, de- to write the outline I'm not even going to write a yeah. single piece of dialogue until the outline well you know you can do that in our concept of pages class yes <laughs> <laughs> so what is it what is next for you um uh, so I this is based on a documentary so this is actually the first documentary out of the after poster girl um that I got excited about and it was this lead singer slash sax player of this band who the day that she found out that she was getting signed to this major label, she found out that she 
was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. Oh my God. And so she went through this whole chemo process Her hair fell out and she was getting ready to do her second chemo. And I ran into her boyfriend who was in the band and they started the band totally random because I held it, held a fundraising event in Vermont and I needed musicians to play and they got together and played and they, they had so much fun playing together that they formed an actual band. So I'm like, had something to do with the creation of this band and, um, and, and I'm in New York and I run into Alex, her boyfriend, and he's like, um, you're making documentaries, right? And I said, yeah. And, um, he's like, you know, I might have a subject that you would be interested in. And so next thing I know, I'm, you know, without raising any money, here I am again, just like, just grabbing my camera and going, and which isn't always in my best interest. But, um, so I filmed her second chemo to keep, and I wanted to, and then they had to figure out a way for her to get on the road and for their music tour, but then take breaks so that she could go do her chemo and then recover in the back of the van and like all these crazy things. And um, I don't want to give it all away, but I'll just say that um, she decided to not do the third chemo. And, wow. and it was kind of, I knew that the film died in that moment. And, you know, but something else happened that was totally unbelievable. She decided to do this alternative form of chemo. So I just, I feel like I want to write something that's kind of like a pharmaceutical thriller around I'm so drawn to thrillers right now, even, you know, and, and I still think that they can be about something that's um, relevant and important and emotionally driven um, where your lead character learns something about themselves by the end. So I'm, yes. I'm going to, that's going to be my next project. Well, and I love that you're also drawn to these things, the, 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 the little person going up against the behemoth yes. system. Yeah. The David and Goliath story. Yeah, totally. And another female driven. That's kind of been my, you know, poster girl, women who score. Maybe this one will become like girl who climbs trees. (laughs) (laughs) Well, another thing I just, I wanted to touch on earlier. You mentioned Canon coming in with the cameras for women who score. And I feel like that's something filmmakers might not realize or, or people coming in this might not realize that how much these companies actually do want to help us mm-hmm. and how much, how much of the time, if you just ask, mm-hmm. they're more than willing to help because it, it helps them share like, yeah, this was made with Canon cameras or whatever. And it's like, it, 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 it makes them look good, makes us look good. Um, yeah. They have a program for loaning equipment and don't be afraid to ask just, yeah. Um, just reach out to them and say, this is my project. And, and, you know, you might get something, they might loan you something for three weeks. They might, they loaned me a camera for over a year. So, That's and then they, amazing. and then they donated equipment to my next project, which I filmed um, a documentary about um, uh, scoring the scoring department at, at Berkeley college in Boston. Oh. I followed, I followed a group of students, um, in this really prestigious program. And so they, yeah, they donated a whole package for that. Oh, that's so cool. We had, um, Ari donate cameras for our sizzle for our surfer girl project. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And we were just like, it was, they were so excited about it. And you're, you're sitting there going like, 
I'm just this lowly filmmaker and you're this huge, amazing company and you actually care. And it's just, it's, it's yeah. really cool. And then you start developing those, those relationships. They've actually, now that it looks like that's going to move forward where they're, they've agreed to do some, some portion of, again, a camera package for the, the actual making of oh, the feature. Fantastic. So, yeah. And is it like a social impact kind of subject yeah. or is it? Yeah. Or it's just yeah, it's about people you know. people of color um, and access to swimming and surfing and uh, especially oh, right. little girls. Yes. So, so it's so like is a, that written? Did you you wrote? Oh the, yeah, the feature or yeah, we wrote the feature. I wrote well, I wrote the feature. I wrote the um, it's funny that started out as a TV show like for tweens, and Disney commissioned it, and then and then Disney passed on it. And we were like trying to keep it in this like really, you know, I'm such a Pollyanna that like I, I end up in that realm too easily. So it was like really kind of too young and Pollyanna. And we finally were like, you know what? Because my partner on that, we're both like, we know features better than we know TV. So let's turn it into a feature and let's age it up and make it more gritty. So instead of her being like nine, we made it. She's, she's uh, 13. She's having her 13th birthday actually in the movie now. And, um, you know, made a parent had just passed away before the movie starts and you know so it's a lot grittier and darker and um mm. it's not Pollyanna anymore oh it's not Disney anymore it's not Disney anymore <laughs> it's definitely PG-13 it's it's made it such a difference so that's you know sometimes yeah. like you've done with Poster Girl like you have a project one way and then you take it and you turn it around and you work on it and it's like okay now it's over here and it looks like this and it's right. different right. but it's the same core of what excited you about that story in the first place yeah. well in my case you know I had a script that we that I had an agent and she sent it out this is back in 2015 and she sent it out to all the studios and just like you know and it just wasn't the right time for it and yeah. um and then we thought okay well let's try to turn it into like a psychological thriller like right well, I remember that I remember that phase yeah and that phase just you know I mean it didn't it wasn't true to the story and but it got away from what I really wanted, yeah. story I wanted to tell. That I Which is so about. frustrating. And you have that feeling in your gut when it's getting the, going the wrong way. It's the most frustrating thing, totally. but it's, you know, it's, you can now kind of confidently rule that out as that yeah. we definitely don't go that way. And I also just think it, again, what Meg Gifford was saying that like the usual suspects went around town and every single studio rejected it. And then 10 years later, they sent it out again. And suddenly there's a bidding war. Everyone wants it. Spielberg says, buy it no matter what. Like, yep. you just never, you know. Outbid everybody. Outbid oh, my everyone. God. Oh, God. Isn't that the dream to have Spielberg say, this one, no matter oh, what, kids. Oh, my God. My dream. But, yeah. you know, it really goes to show that, you know, yeah, sit on it. Don't rush it. If it's, if no one's yeah. buying it, if no one's interested, you know, like give it time. Maybe you'll yeah. rethink the story in a way yeah. that is better ten, five, ten years later. Yeah. You know, and creating. And culture shifts, you culture know, shifts. like when we first went out with the Surfer Girl project, we were told by major major companies that you know it's great that you're writing about this little black girl but can she be white and also can she be a boy mm -hmm. and we were like no because white boys really not a lot of obstacles for them learning to swim sorry and and then like you know now people are like it's like now those same people get it and it's like oh my god what an amazing thing to have a story about this little you know 
disadvantaged girl um, yeah. being told everywhere she goes that she cannot and she's not allowed and persevering. Black lives matter. Yeah. Me, like, so. yeah, that's in the zeitgeist. Yeah. So that's like, and then me too. Like I had, a, I have another pilot about, um, you know, when, from when I used to do the self-defense training and in teaching that I had, we had a pilot about that and we were told women don't need to see themselves being empowered. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're actually told that by a major uh, agency executive um, and that if women get it in their heads that they can defend themselves, that's just going to create problems. So we, we shouldn't. And I, and we were my, I was like, there was smoke coming out of my ears. I was just like, <laughs> and, and of course now everyone's like, oh, we're looking for female empowerment scripts. I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> thanks for, thanks for coming around. So how do you get your, your slate of scripts out there? Like, you know, how do you get a meeting where you're like, I have like 20 scripts and you know, which one? Really good question. I mean, your guess is good as mine. I don't have an agent. That would probably help. Um, I, we, you know, just working every connection I can think of of somebody who knows somebody um, with a surfer girl thing, the guy that was in the sizzle loved it. And he's kind of a big deal. He was in Django Unchained and stuff like that. And he, his girlfriend read it and she works at a major studio or not studio, agency. And she took it into their agency and the agency freaked out and like loves it, you know? So it's just, just trying those connections and figuring out like, okay, who can I reach out to about this one topic? And then hopefully that That's might- really exciting. That sounds like a great- You know, it's the incremental steps forward, but you know, I'm hoping that opens the door to the, what else you got question. And I can exactly. be like, oh, well, actually. Yeah. I mean, you also have to sort of format your, because you you have so much range in your work. You know, you've got some that are, you know, the demographic is younger. Yeah. Um, so you also have to figure out, you can't just pitch, you know, vomit everything. It's right. Yeah. For them. Yeah. It's like, what's, what is this? What is the fit for this? And I mean, I don't know. I, I have a group of, of alumni and we, we meet once a week and talk about this very topic like how do we get into things and um somebody just recommended virtual pitch fest last night so we were researching that and is that worth our time and maybe it is and i belong to um the isa international screenwriting association and there's all kinds of every all the time new gig you know these this company wants horror films this company wants comedies geared towards kids like what you know so it's like okay well when those things pop up i'm like i got one here you go i got one here you go that's a great resource I mean, we'll see. I've, I've had a couple that have gone to conversations with the, with the executives, but like nothing's ever come of it. So we'll see. I don't know. It's, it's just like, keep, you know, just keep going back and back, you know, like, yeah. And even, even if you think they, oh, they're sick of hearing from you. I mean, just, just keep bugging them. You'll get, yeah. you'll, you know, they'll remember you. You'll plant seeds. <laughs> that annoying girl. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But you know, squeaky wheel and all that. It's okay to be annoying. Of all the stuff you've been through, like you've learned so much and you've come so far with these projects and, you know, building your craft, what do, what would you say to your, your 13 year old self, if you could go back and be like, listen, kid, here's what you need to know. Don't wait for anybody to, to do something, just do it. You know, I think when I finished Poster Girl, I thought, oh, now that I've graduated to the next level, I'm going to work with these big crews and I'm going to have big yeah. budgets. And I think I, I 
that got in the way of me making films, you know, with yeah. just the run and gun, which is true to who I am. And, um, you know, I did try it with, with the cancer um, story, but, but um, that just, you know, the story just fizzled. But, um, you know, I just, I realized that I have this tool and I really need to get out there and use it more often and don't be afraid to just find it, you know, because um, I used to just wait for things to fall in my lap. And I just had this amazing experience recently where um, this She is Electable campaign popped up, a competition popped up. And I thought, who do I know? Do I know anyone who's running for local office? No, I don't know anybody. But I got this text that says, will you support our, you you know, do we have your vote? And it was um, two women running for uh, rent control board. And I was like, well, that, that sounds kind of cool. Like maybe I could just make a little two minute thing about them. And I reached out to them and I said, can I, do you guys want me to film you for, you know, a two minute piece? Would you be open to that? And they said, yes. And, you know, I was thinking like, okay, I need a crew. I need this sound person. I need this. You know, I just, I got my camera. I had set up my good microphone and I just got the interview. And yeah. I'm just, I'm reminding myself that I, I can do that. And I need to yeah. do this like that. Because I feel, I, I feel much better about my ability to make a contribution to society in that way. Like, it's super important. I love that. I can relate to all of that. I did the same thing after, like, right out of UCLA. My uh, one of my scripts, one, my first rom com that I wrote, like, won, won. Like, it did really well in some contests, and so I was like. I've graduated. I don't need to enter contests anymore. I will start getting all the calls. And I, I literally have not entered a screenwriting contest since then. And now I was like, my friend won the nickel, my friend, went, and I'm like, oh, and then they're, yeah. they're getting the meetings and they're getting the call. I'm like, oh, should I still be doing that? Cause I just, I thought I had graduated. Like there's a thing, like that's a thing. And I'm just like realizing, oh yeah, that's totally stupid. And I don't get to be yeah. big for my britches. And I, you know, it's like, you're, Never get you're always still in it. They're that's, always that's, still right back in it. Yes. And I thought of you, um, cause I'm this, uh, you know, I've done a bunch of my documentary shooting overseas. So I got really good at like my can't, my, my rig is like my two camera rig with microphones and everything. And I can do every, in two lights, I can do everything by myself, um, in one suitcase. And that's what I fly with, with whatever clothes can fit around it. So I only have my one suitcase nice. and that's my, that's my gear. <laughs> and, um, I love like, that. you know, rolling up and down tube stops in London, like by myself. And, oh my God. What, oh so yeah. Cool. It's so fun. And then, and then last year at this very time, I was in Oklahoma shooting a doc about my friend's rescue horse. And oh. there was a moment where, you know, we didn't raise enough money. We were trying to raise enough money for me to bring a sound person and like, or just a, an assistant of some kind. And we didn't get there. So it was just me. And there was a moment in this field when it was 40 degrees, I have the task cam sticking out of my pocket. I've got a cannon in each hand you know, a wide and a medium trying to run both of them. And I'm, my hands are so cold. They're frozen in position around the cameras and I'm trying to keep the guy in frame and both of them. And I was like, this was really dumb. What am I doing? Wait a second. You're literally filming two cameras at the same time. Yeah. yeah. A wide <laughs> shot and a medium. And the guy's talking and the horses are running around and like, you know, we're walking through this field. And I was like, what have I gotten myself into 4k comes in handy because then you just you know let's yes <laughs> yes thank you my cannons um yeah so like free ad for canon um let's, i literally just built 
I really literally just built the edit um, project a week ago. And my friend whose horse it is, is like, when are you going to finish that doc? And I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> I'm not an editor. I've gotten, so I'm learning all this myself oh. too. Oh, but, well, if you need any, thank pointers, you. I'm happy to. The thing of documentaries is it's such a long process and people oh, like, yeah, it's like we started the, it. we started the, the ones I fly to Britain for, I started those seven years ago. And it's like, the guys are like, when is that done? I'm like, still filming. You so, know, you know, and Andy Timoner, she made that documentary, We Live in Public, that oh. um, won the grand jury at Sundance. This was back in um, 2005, I think, or 2003. Um, anyway, she, she received her award and, and she got up to um, speak in the Q&A after. And this was, she started making this film before the internet took off. Oh, wow. And she didn't, she, her story kind of fizzled out. And so she just put the camera down, she put all the footage away, she just like shelved it. And then all of a sudden, like the internet happened because the guy that she, Films that she was making this film about, like, claimed to have invented the internet, oh. and and then all of a sudden, like, it just took off. And she's like, "Oh my god, I have a film now! I have a film!" And it ended up getting the grand jury at Sundance. And so I'm just, I'm a firm believer. Oh, and you know yeah. what? Don't even stress about finishing it and rushing to get it into yeah. Sundance if it's not ready. You know? Yeah. You never know when another chapter of the story is going to unfold. Yeah, the story, let the story unfold. I love it. Yeah. Well, it's interesting too, living in California where the gun laws are what they are. And, you know, when I was with my friend in Oklahoma and other states that I've been in where there's different open carry laws and stuff. And it's so interesting. Like we walked into the Gelson's or whatever the store, the grocery was. And, you know, there's people just with their guns and, and I just like, I froze. I was just like, how is it okay that there's a person just in this store with a gun? And my friend had a gun too. And she's just like, well, well, what's the big deal? And I was like, oh my God, you're asking me to trust that idiot with my life. And I don't know what his deal is. I don't know if he's got PTSD. I don't know if he's going to be triggered. I don't know if he doesn't like women. I don't know. Oh my God. Like it yeah, just, it was so okay. upsetting to me. I'm like, I can't live in this state. I'm going back to California. <laughs> Where was that? Um, Oklahoma. I'm going to live in a non-open carry state, that is for sure, yeah. wherever I end up. Or just Europe, where you can't have a gun at all. Yeah. Even in Russia, you can't have a gun. That shocks me. Russia? It just yeah. seems like they all have guns, according to any James Bond movie that I've ever seen. Oh, no. Like the, like the NRA just funnels money. I shouldn't get into it. But oh, my God. I know. They, we, could do, we should we do a whole episode on gun rights. Yes. Shout, shout out to Kate Hamilton, who's yeah. Um, Kate, did you have any? She's she line produced my music video. Oh, I, cool! Yeah. Line producing is a whole other beast. That's amazing. Yeah, that was fun. That was a crazy day, wasn't it? It was a crazy day. We oh had yeah. To, like, Do you want to talk about that video? Because it's beautiful. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, that was that was a very low budget. Um, you know, we scrambled some money together. But um, I next time I do that, it's going to be two days, not one day. Yeah. Um, so one of the composers in Women Who Score, her daughter is, is a child prodigy. She's a singer, songwriter, pianist, violinist. I mean, she's just amazing. Wow. She, she wrote this song called Rise that is just so timely and speaks to all the fear 
that young the younger generation is is dealing with right now that this idea that their leaders are not putting putting their futures in their you know and that they're really on their own and they have to they have to find their voice and they have to find a way to face a future that's not very kind to them right now and so um, we got this uh, amazing uh, choreographer to bring all of her dancers. She's an Emmy-winning choreographer, and she had she had there were like eight, how many, ten, eight or ten dancers. They flew in from all different parts of the country on their own dime, and we had this amazing. Um, we filmed in this location that had suffered a fire in Simi Valley, so it had this real gritty. Yeah. and it was just so yeah it was really cool it's beautiful it's a lot of planning and then you know I, I edited it after and finally released it to the world but um I haven't really released it it just got it's being considered for a Grammy but I don't know if we'll get it it just underscores that like artists want to work like people will come if you ask yeah. you know people will come to your aid they'll they'll come, they'll be in your thing. And not that we, you know, it's like, we should all strive to pay everyone. And Kate, and Kate, you know, she's way overqualified. um, Yeah. It's like amazing people. But, you know, I'm hoping, you know, that it was, it's a good investment, you know, like it's a, we shot it on, um, on the Alexa and it just it came out really beautiful and it is beautiful I I had the same I had a um when I shot my short film last year uh, and the most incredible award-winning uh composer asked me if he could score it and I was like are you kidding me um yes please and it's just like it I put it I've submitted it to a couple festivals under like award for score like forget the film just please award the score because it's so beautiful you know and it's just like I have no business having somebody of that caliber on my film, but it, you know, people There's want a learn. lot of competition. It's, it's a very um, busy field. Yeah. You know? um, I get composers that write to me all the time. Wow. Um, to score my work. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I don't have anything for you. And if yeah. I'm going to work with a composer, it's probably going to be Miriam or another woman. Yeah. Composer. Well, that was, so last week I talked with Jeff Rona who is this amazing composer. And he was saying that the music, that's the one, the special power it has is that it's the one thing that's outside of time and normal sense senses, like our five senses. And it's like, you know, because you don't walk around with a soundtrack to your day and yet we watch a film and it's normal to see a sound music to what the humans are doing. Mm-hmm. When it's like, if you think about it, it's this weird artificial thing, but like we accept it as normal and he was saying that music is the only thing besides smell that circumvents the um, cognitive brain and it goes right to like our primal core. And that's why, you know, it can make you, it, it elicits emotions. It can make you remember something or feel something because it's not, it's bypassing your cognition and just going right to core stuff, which I, I was just like, that's magic. That is so interesting. Yeah. The music part of the scoring part of um, Poster Girl was probably the most exciting for me. Um, when you have a finished film and then, you know, your composer writes all the music and then you go into the recording booth and you hear it played live to your film that you've been working on for five years, you know, it just, it, it was the most euphoric experience I've ever had. I mean, it's just 
amazing if you can get to that place, especially, you know, having live musicians. Yeah. On that note, so lovely to hear from you and just, you know, the fact that you've persisted through all of this stuff and you're still honing your craft and you're not, you're just, you know, you're in it. You're not giving up. And that's what we all need. Thank you, Heidi. It means so much to me to hear that from you. I mean, you're just, you're, you're my mentor in so many ways and I wouldn't be here if it weren't for you. So, you know, thank you for all your support over the years. Next time on Hearthside Salons, in 1916, suffragist Inez Milholland went up against President Woodrow Wilson, who, like many men of the time, saw the possibility of women voting as a threat. With one of the most important voting days in our lifetime right around the corner, I talk with filmmakers who've made both narrative and documentary films about Inez and her fight to make sure every American has the right to vote. Join me, Amy Walker, Jessica Graham, and Martha Wheelock. Special thanks to our graphic and sonic designer, Joel Harris. Our theme music is by Lachey Swing. For more on our script coaching, online concept to pages screenwriting courses, and writing retreats in Italy, again someday, or to be part of our live recording audience, visit us at pagecraftwriting.com, at pagecraftwriting on Instagram, and at pagecraftwrite on Twitter. I'm Heidi from Pagecraft. Thanks for listening and stay well. <laughs>